The uh, Bible reading this morning is Psalm 85, and we're going to be starting at verse 1. Lord, you have been favorable to your land. You have brought back the captivity of Jacob. You have forgiven the iniquity of your people. You have covered all their sin. You have taken away all your wrath. You have turned from the fierceness of your anger. Restore us, O God of our salvation, and cause your anger toward us to cease. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your mercy, Lord, and grant us your salvation. I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people and to his saints, but let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Mercy and truth have met together, righteousness and peace have kissed. Truth shall spring out of the earth, and righteousness shall look down from heaven. Yes, the Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him, and shall make his footsteps our pathway. Thank you, Jessica. Thank you, Richard, for the very warm word of welcome earlier. It's really good for me and my wife, Carolina, to be with you here in Antrim Baptist today. And it's lovely to have the opportunity to fellowship with you and opportunity to open up the Word of God together as well. Um, now, folks, just before we open up the Word of God together, let's just bow our heads and still our hearts in prayer. Our lovely, most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this great opportunity we have to be here just now. Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have now to open up your most holy Word. And Father, in these moments, we just pray indeed that we will be still and just to consider who you are through your word and to know that you are God. Father, take away distracting thoughts that seem to flood our minds in these moments or maybe because of tiredness or other things, Father, keep us awake. And Father, speak into our hearts. But Father, as we hear your word, as you speak to us through your word, help us to be a people who not only hear and understand, but who are changed who truly put your word into practice in our daily Christian lives. So again, Father, we pray for the children as they now have their, their Sunday school classes. Bless everyone who will take part in that. Bless their time. And Father, bless our time. And the speaker this morning needs that help and that power and that liberty from on high. Because without you, what can we do? We realize our dependency is completely on you. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, Jessica read there from Psalm 85, and that's what I want us to consider with God's help today, that wonderful Psalm, Psalm 85. And uh, now, in the title of it, it doesn't really give us the historical context or where it is, but most commentators agree that, of course, it's making reference to referring to what is uh, after the Babylonian captivity. And whenever we consider the Babylonian captivity, of course, we realize that there was three returns from the Babylonian captivity. There was the first return under Zerubbabel and Joshua the high priest to go back with the group of 50,000 with a primary purpose to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem again that had been completely destroyed. And then later Ezra went, of course, to bring about a spiritual reform, and that was the second return with a few others with him. 
And then later, Nehemiah went back, of course, to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. But not only to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, but also to rebuild and reconstitute Jerusalem as a nation, but also uh, the Israelites as a nation, but also to, to rebuild Jerusalem, uh, the city itself as well. And he was governor uh, for around 12 years there in Jerusalem. So that's more or less what we feel maybe is the context here or the background or the historical background to this particular psalm. And what I want to do with God's help today, if that's possible, is I want us to consider just four things uh, here that you see before you in the screen that's found in this psalm. First thing there, we're going to consider verses 1 to 3, Lord, you've done it before, then Lord, do it again. Lord, we are waiting on you. Lord, we believe. Lord, we believe. Now, folks, maybe you're not, have never considered much what is revival or the importance of it. Do we pray for revival? Should we consider revival? Well, folks, we've been singing about it today. One of the greatest needs for us, the church of Jesus Christ today, is to be revived. And for God to pour out His Spirit, for God to work in amongst us in our lives individually and collectively. Here in this local church, that's something that we should be praying for and praying towards because we do want God to take a dealing with us because we want to be more holy. We want to be truly sanctified unto Him as God's called out people. So let's just take this passage and let's go through it together just now with God's help. And let us look at the first point there, Lord, you have done it before verses 1 to 3. I'm just going to take time to read those verses again. Lord, you have been favorable to your land. You have brought back the captivity of Jacob. You have forgiven the iniquity of your people. You have covered all their sin. You have taken away all your wrath. You have turned from the fierceness of your anger. Here the psalmist is clearly looking back at how God has delivered his people before. You have been favorable to your land. You've brought back the captivity of Jacob. You've forgiven the iniquity of your people. You've covered all their sin. You've taken away all your wrath. You've turned from the fierceness of your anger. Maybe that's you here this morning. Maybe all of us, as we reflect on our Christian lives, for everyone here this morning that knows the Lord Jesus Christ as your own and personal Savior, maybe look back at the time in our life when we were more on fire for God, that the fire burned brightly within us and we shone brightly for the Lord. And maybe as the years go on and we continue on our Christian walk and Christian experience, that light begins to flicker or it begins to go out or it gets a little bit dimmer than it once was. As we begin to look back personally in our own Christian lives, and I, I, I experienced the same in my own life, that sometimes you look back and you remember better moments where God was definitely at work in your life and God was definitely working in and through you. And you were certainly more on fire for God and you knew indeed how God forgave all your iniquities. There was that moment for everyone who knows the Lord as Savior here this morning, there was that moment when God reached down and saved you, that His Spirit convicted you of your sin and you cried out to God to save you. You repented of your sins and you turned to Him and cried out for that salvation which He so freely offered to you. That was a changing moment in your life. That's when God brought you from death unto life, spiritually speaking, and you were made alive in Christ. And often whenever you talk to someone who's recently come to know the Lord as Savior, they're on fire. They don't know the ins and outs of theology or doctrine, but I tell you this, they want to tell everybody what Jesus has done in their life. But sometimes the more and more we get caught in the routine, and the week by week, 
We get a little bit caught up in what is tradition or just going through the norms, but we've lost our zeal, we've lost our passion, we've lost our desire. And that happens to everybody. That happens to pastors. That happens to missionaries. That happens to every single child of God. And here the psalmist is looking back, and he's looking back at how God did deliver them and how God did work before them. But here's the thing. Can we pray for revival? This psalm's all about revival because here we see the psalmist is looking back and he's wanting God to do a work again amongst them. And we're going to see that as we continue. But one thing we need to make clear as we consider the subject of revival, sometimes maybe you would have heard in America where they'll talk about great revival campaigns. We shouldn't mix up revival with evangelism because they're two distinct things. Because revival is for the believer. It starts with the believer. It starts in you and me. Alan Redpath has a comment which is worthy to listen to just now as we consider uh, the whole subject of revival. And this is from his commentary on Nehemiah. This is what he says. I would always distinguish revival from evangelism, although often confused. The two are entirely different. Evangelism is winning the unsaved. Revival has to do with the Christian. Evangelism is the permanent duty of the church. Revival is a gracious outpouring of the Spirit of God. And he goes on to say, it is possible to have a measure of success in evangelism without ever having revival. But he says this, but I do believe that genuine revival in the church would lead to a mighty blessing in evangelism. When God begins to work in the life of the believer and challenges us and gets us and begins to convict us and work in our hearts to revive us, it begins to have a, a knock-on effect to others. And whenever we consider the great history of revival, we can see if we even consider the Old Testament, there was different revivals. And just to mention a few, there was a revival under Joshua, there was a revival under Samuel, there was a revival under King Hezekiah, under King Josiah. There was revival under Haggai. There was revival under Ezra. And there was certainly revival under Nehemiah. And more recently, in the last couple of centuries, we know there's been different true and proper revivals, genuine pouring out of the Spirit of God. I'm not talking about silly things or fads or whatever it might be. I'm talking about genuine revival. There was the American Revival under Jonathan Edwards. There was the Welsh Revival. There was Ulster Revival in 1859. And there was also that revival out in the Isle of Lewis in 1949 through to 1952. But it starts with the believer. I mentioned one of the revivals of the Old Testament was, of course, through Nehemiah. Nehemiah was the third group that went back to, indeed, to rebuild the walls at Jerusalem. And whenever you consider the story of Nehemiah, I take it you've read it. I hope you have. If you haven't, remind yourself, familiarize yourself with it again. It's a wonderful story, and it's in historical context. It's absolutely in chronological order. It's a beautiful story. But whenever you begin Nehemiah in chapter 1, Nehemiah hears from his brethren how, the, how Jerusalem is, the state of Jerusalem. And remember, the temple's been rebuilt. A few houses have been built, but not much else has been done. There's no walls. And whenever they're bringing their report, he hears about it. And it says, when he heard it, he says, And they said to me, verse 3 of Nehemiah chapter 1, The survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. When Nehemiah 
heard the state of his brethren, when he heard the state of Zion, Jerusalem, the holy city, it broke him. When he heard the plight of his people, it broke him. Remember, he was in the royal court. He was a cupbearer of the king. But he was God's man who God was going to begin to do a work in, in revival in his heart, and plant a seed in his heart to have a burden for his people and a burden for the walls of Jerusalem to be rebuilt. Because the response to that is this. It says in verse 4 of Nehemiah chapter 1, So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. God burdened his heart for Jerusalem. He was burdened. He was brought to tears. He was brought to his knees. He was mourning. He was hurting. He was pleading. And it wasn't an overnight sensation. God began his work and his servant. And then you read through the book of Nehemiah, you can see how the walls were rebuilt within 52 days. And you come into Nehemiah chapter 8, and you how to see the whole crowd asked Ezra to go and get the book of the law. Go get the book of Moses and to bring it for it to be read publicly. And then you have men, women, and children, and they stand when the word of God has been read. And, and he speaks and shares the word for about four hours. And we see the Feast of Tabernacles is brought back again. And God has now done a work of revival in the people. And they're spiritually brought back to the right place again because God done a mighty work in building up the walls, doing the impossible task that seemed impossible in time of 52 days. And then, seriously, God works and moves in the hearts of the people, and there's a change. See, whenever you look through the book of Nehemiah, notice in those 13 chapters how many times you see Nehemiah, when problems came, the first thing he does, he's on his knees praying. When God begins to do a work of revival, it starts with you and me. It starts in the believer. Revival starts in the life of the believer. It starts in me. It starts in you. And like the psalmist, David, in Psalm 139, those last couple of verses of that psalm, he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Because it starts with you and me. And here's the thing about revival, folks. I don't want to be the hindrance to it. And often in our prayer times in Glengormley, I'll read this scripture and I'll say, Lord, start the work in me. Change me. Lord, if there's anything, like David, if there's anything that's not right in my life, Show me it. Spirit of God, convict me of it so I can change because I don't want to be the hindering or the stumbling block. Because the desire of every believer should be that you all should want to see an outpouring of the Spirit of God in our land, in our communities, in our church. Brings us to the second point. Lord, do it again. Verses 4, 3 to 7. It says there in the psalm, the Lord on high is mightier than the... No Sorry, I'm the wrong psalm. Just change an extra page or two there, forgive me. Back here, back over in verse 4, it says, Restore us, O God, of our salvation, and cause your anger toward us to cease. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again? 
that your people may rejoice in you. Show us your mercy, Lord, and grant us your salvation. That word revive, it means to have life. It means to be restored to life, to health. It means to be quickened. It means to flourish. It means to live. Waken us up again, Lord. Revive us again. Bring us back to you again, Lord. Do a work that only you can do. I mentioned it earlier about, of course, in 18 and 59, there was the, the Ulster Revival began in a little schoolhouse in Kells. And four men from Connor Presbyterian in 19 and, sorry, uh, 18 and 58 felt burdened about praying for their church and praying for their community in Kells and Connor. And they began to pray. And see, God had planted a seed like a Nehemiah, burdened them for their community. And they began to pray. And I tell you this, they prayed for about a year, and God began to work. And they were only praying for their specific area, which isn't too far away from where we are just now. But the, here's the thing, God began to pour out His Spirit in the salvation of precious souls. And it went through all the counties in Northern Ireland and even into Donegal. And there was a mighty revival in this land. And people were under deep, deep conviction of sin, burdened. In Coleraine, they wanted to have a campaign. And they said, well, what's the biggest building in Coleraine? It's still there to this day. It's the town hall in Coleraine. You can walk around it when you're going around the shops. I'm sure you've seen it. And it would have held maybe three or 400 people. But whenever they thought, well, that'll be enough for the people, it wouldn't have held the people because there was far more came and the people were all over the streets. When they began to preach, there was noises heard, not silly noises, but it's because people were under deep, deep conviction of sin. And God had convicted them of their sin in such a way, they were in such turmoil. But it was genuine revival because people got gloriously saved. And it all started with a few men praying in a little schoolhouse in a little area of Kells and Connor. Lord, do it again. Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your mercy, Lord, and grant us your salvation. Folks, do we pray for revival? Are we praying for revival? The Lord will revive us both individually and collectively. Do we truly want to see God pour out His Spirit in this community? Lord, you've done it before. Lord, do it again. That brings us to the third point. Lord, we're waiting on you, verses 8 and 9. I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people and to his saints. But let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him. The glory may dwell, that glory may dwell in our land. The psalmist prays, he's been looking back, and now he's saying, Lord, you've done it before. Lord, do it again. And now we see he's waiting on the Lord. You need to be patient. You need to be able to wait on the Lord. I will hear what, the, what God, the Lord, will speak, for he will speak peace to his people and to his saints. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Here's the thing about revival. We cannot organize it. We cannot control it. 
but we can certainly pray for it. Campbell Morgan, a well-known preacher, author, pastor of a bygone day, says this about revival. We cannot organize revival, but we can set our sails to catch the wind from heaven when God chooses to blow up his people once, when he blow upon, not blow up, sorry, blow upon his people once again. I'll read that again. We cannot organize revival, but we can set our sails to catch the wind from heaven when, when God chooses to blow upon his people once again. The psalmist was praying, Lord, you've done it before. Lord, do it again. We're waiting. We're waiting. We're expectant. Another revival that I mentioned. Now, I have a picture in my notes, but there's no picture on the screen, but that's a picture of two ladies, and in between the two ladies, they're linked on to a, to a man in the middle, and his name was Duncan uh, Campbell. And the two ladies that had to do with the beginning of the revival in the Isle of Lewis between 1949 and 1952 were two sisters, and their name was Peggy Smith and Christine Smith. And God planted a seed in their lives, and God began to work in their lives, and you know what their burden was for? Their burden was for the state of the churches in the Isle of Lewis, how the numbers were going down, people weren't coming to church, but you know what? They had a true burden for the young people of the island because the young people weren't going to church. And the Lord put it in their hearts to begin to pray for the young people of the Isle of Lewis that God would work in their lives. But here's the thing. You can imagine these two dear sisters. They were strong in character. You weren't going to mess with them. And they were so burdened that they went to their minister and they said, Minister, you need to start having prayer meetings. And they said, here's the thing. You're going to have them on a Tuesday night and a Thursday night. And they're going to start at 10 p.m. and they're going to last at 4 a.m. in the morning. But here's the thing, we're not going to them. Because I'm blind and my sister's crippled with arthritis. So while you are praying, we'll be praying here in the house. But minister, you need to get to prayer. During this time, they felt burdened about how the well-known evangelist and pastor, Duncan Campbell, who was in Scotland, they felt that the Lord had led in their heart to ask him to come and to have evangelistic meetings. And whenever they contacted Duncan Campbell, he was in the process of having an evangelistic campaign in Scotland. Everything was in place, everything was organized. And whenever he was asked, he says, I can't, I'm doing an evangelistic outreach here in Scotland, a mission I can't. And they went back and they told the sisters that, and they says, no, he'll be here because God's in it. And less than two weeks later, he was there at the Isle of Lewis, and when he arrived, he was asked, uh, and he was tired from his travels, and he was brought over to the, to the mansard. Uh, but before the mansard, the, the minister said to him, will you not share a wee word in the church before you come to the mansard to get some supper and get you settled in and get you to bed, get a wee bit of rest? And he came and he preached a message. And after it, everyone went out the door and went home. And later on, as they came outside the church, all of a sudden, there was a crowd of people standing outside the church, and he wondered what was going on. It's because God's Spirit had moved, and these people were in burden of their sin, and God gloriously saved a group of people that night. And if you listen to Duncan Campbell, you can even on YouTube even hear some of his messages or read about it as well online. But, you know, one, he used to get annoyed when people say that Duncan Campbell brought revival to Isle of Lewis and said, I didn't do nothing. It was all of God. 
God brought revival. It was God. If we want to see revival, well, of course, we have to believe it. Finally there it says, Lord, we believe, verses 10 through to 13, mercy and truth have met together, righteousness and peace have kissed, truth shall spring out of the earth, and righteousness shall look down from heaven. Yes, the Lord will give what is good. He, he's believing it. And our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and shall make his footsteps our pathway. Folks, we need to pray believing. We need to pray believing because we're coming to the God of the impossible because there's nothing our God cannot do. And if he's done it before, he can do it again. But in order for that to happen, we have to be in the right place. It says in 2 Chronicles seven fourteen, that's a well-known verse. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. There's the order. Revival begins with me. It begins with us. We're told to humble ourselves, to fully surrender our lives, our wills to God. And he must have the authority over every aspect of our lives and His Holy Spirit controlling our lives as we're filled with the Spirit, sanctified by holy living, practical holiness, Spirit-led, prompted, sincere prayers. We need to be sincere in our love for one another to maintain unity, and that maintains harmony. And although we can't organize a revival, we can pray and be expectant because this psalmist believed he said, I'm waiting, but I know you will. But the conditions have to be right before God will move. He won't move if there's friction, backbiting, division. And God cannot send blessing in the midst of an unholy or carnal living. We need to be turning back to Him and living holy lives before Him. Lord, pour out your Spirit and revive your work again. In the 80s and 90s, there was an American singer. Now, I'm sure my age, maybe one or two, I'm not sure if Paul Norwood will remember or not, but he would have had to listen to it a few times. I would have played it maybe in his car at the time, the cassettes, because that was how old me and Paul are. We had to listen to cassettes. One day, I showed my son Timothy, who's 18, goes to school with Natalie. I showed him my cassettes. I'm going back a few years. And he looked at it and goes, what did I do with this? I gave him the tape player, says, now play it. And he goes, what do you do? And I had to show him. But now he loves cassettes. He thinks they're very good. They're very retro. There you go. But there's an American singer called Steve Camp. And he never would compromise in lyrics. And he had a song called Revive Us, O Lord. Listen to what it says. We have turned from your ways. Lord, your fruit we cease to bear. We lack the power we once knew in our prayers. The gentle voice of heaven we cease to hear and know. The fact that he is risen no longer stirs our soul. Folks, recently we celebrated Easter. Our Lord is alive. He is raised from the dead. The tomb's empty. We serve a risen Savior. He's alive forevermore. On the cross, they feeded sin. 
the devil was defeated. And on the third day when he rose again, I tell you, death was defeated. That's our Savior. It surely should stir our soul. When you look at the church in Acts, the doctrine of the resurrection of Christ was proclaimed. It should stir our soul. Revive us, O Lord, the chorus. Revive us, O Lord, and cleanse us from all our impurity and make us holy. Hear our cry and revive us, O Lord. Now, maybe you're saying, I don't know how Steve Camp is, so what about something a wee bit more modern? Well, here you go. Casting Crowns is another group I like to listen to. And they have good lyrics as well. And every wee song, one of their latest albums, and it says this, or one of the lines, and this is what it says. I think this is powerful. Church, if we want to see a change in the world out there, it's got to start right here. And it's got to start right now. You see, whenever those prayer meetings began in the Isle of Lewis, and I promise you that's me now, folks. One of the prayer meetings was in a barn. And there in that barn, men got to prayer. And there's one particular young man and he quoted from this psalm. There it is on the screen. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. And as he quoted it, he cried out and he began to repeat. He said, Lord, my hands aren't clean and my heart is not pure. And he began to say it again. He said, Lord, my hands aren't clean before a holy God and my heart is not pure. Will you not cleanse my heart? Will you not cleanse me? And apparently that was the turning point because God began to do a work in his people first. And they came back to being on fire for God, holy people before a holy God, where the Spirit was controlling their lives and the old sin nature was put as if literally to death. That's not an easy task. But maybe God's speaking into your heart, or maybe you've been discouraged in your faith, but maybe if the Lord's speaking into your heart, I hope and pray that you'll listen to God. You'll surrender to God. Because there's no telling in this room what God can raise up to do. It's like looking back in the history of the church, you see how God raises up men and women. But He begins the work in them. And there's no telling what you can do for God if we give ourselves over and fully to Him. May God bless His Word to our hearts. We're just going to, to close in prayer just now, and then we'll have our closing hymn. And just let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank You for what Your Word has showed us and taught us. We thank You for this psalmist and for that faith of believing, Lord, You've done it before. Lord, do it again. We're waiting on You, and we believe. Father, may that be true of us, your people. We realize we live in a wicked world all around us, and we wonder how on earth. But yet, Father, if there's ever a time for us to be praying for a revival, it's now. And Father, I pray indeed you will do work in my life. 
do a work in all of our lives, that we may shine brightly in our schools, in our universities, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, before our families, that people may see Jesus in us, not only by what we say, but by how we live, that they may see that there's something different. And Father, I pray that that indeed will speak into lives. But Father, before you do that work, I pray you'll do that work within us. Search us, O Lord. Cleanse us, O Lord. And these things we ask in Jesus' name, amen.